Part 2, Chapter 10, Section 105 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss. Translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2, History of the Public Life of Jesus. Chapter 10, The Transfiguration of Jesus and His Last Journey to Jerusalem. Section 105, The Transfiguration of Jesus Considered as a Miraculous External Event. The history of the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain could not be arranged with the narratives of miracles which we have hitherto examined, not only because it relates to a miracle which took place in Jesus instead of a miracle performed by him, but also because it has the character of an epoch in the life of Jesus, which, on the score of resemblance, could only be associated with the baptism and resurrection. Hence, Herder has correctly designated these three events as the three luminous points in the life of Jesus, which attest his heavenly mission. According to the impression produced by the first glance at the synoptical narrative, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 and following, Mark chapter 9, verse 2 and following, Luke chapter 9, verse 28 and following, for the history is not found in the fourth gospel, we have here a real, external, and miraculous event. Jesus, six or eight days after the first announcement of his passion, ascends a mountain with his three most confidential disciples, who are there witnesses how all at once his countenance, and even his clothes, are illuminated with supernatural splendor, how two venerable forms from the realm of spirits, Moses and Elias, appear talking with him, and lastly, how a heavenly voice, out of the bright cloud, declares Jesus to be the Son of God, to whom they are to give ear. These few points in the history give rise to a multitude of questions, by the collection of which Gobbler has done a meritorious service. In relation to each of the three phases of the event, the light, the apparition of the dead, and the voice, both its possibility and the adequacy of its object may be the subject of question. First, whence came the extraordinary light with which Jesus was invested? Let it be remembered that a metamorphosis of Jesus is spoken of. Now this would appear to imply not a mere illumination from without, but an irradiation from within a transient effulgence, so to speak, of the beams of the divine glory through the veil of humanity. Thus, Olhausen regards this event as an important crisis in the process of purification and glorification, through which, he supposes, the corporeality of Jesus to have passed, during his whole life up to the time of his ascension but without here dilating further on our previous arguments that either jesus was no real man or the purification which he underwent during his life must have consisted in something else than the illumination and subtilization of his body it is in no case to be conceived how his clothes as well as his body could participate in such a process of transfiguration if, on this account, it be rather preferred to suppose an illumination from without, 
this would not be a metamorphosis which however is the term used by the evangelists so that no consistent conception can be formed of this scene unless indeed we choose with olhausen to include both modes and think of jesus as both radiating and irradiated but even supposing this illumination possible there still remains the question what purpose could it serve the answer which most immediately suggests itself is to glorify jesus but compared with the spiritual glory which jesus created for himself by word and deed this physical glorification consisting in the investing of his body with a brilliant light must appear very insignificant nay almost childish if it be said that nevertheless such a mode of glorifying jesus was necessary for the maintenance of weak faith we reply that in that case it must have been effected in the presence of the multitude or at least before the entire circle of the disciples not surely before just the select three who were spiritually the strongest still less would these few eyewitnesses have been prohibited from communicating the event precisely during the most critical period namely until after the resurrection these two questions apply with enhanced force to the second feature in our history the apparition of the two dead men can departed souls become visible to the living and if as it appears the two men of god presented themselves in their former bodies only transfigured whence had they these according to biblical ideas before the universal resurrection certainly in relation to elijah who went up to heaven without laying aside his body this difficulty is not so great moses however died and his corpse was buried but further to what end are we to suppose that these two illustrious dead appeared the evangelical narrative by representing the forms as talking with jesus seems to place the object of their appearance in jesus and if luke be correct it had reference more immediately to the approaching sufferings and death of jesus but they could not have made the first announcement of these events to him for according to the unanimous testimony of the synoptists he had himself predicted them a week before matthew chapter twenty six verse twenty one and parallel passages hence it is conjectured that moses and elias only informed jesus more minutely concerning the particular circumstances and conditions of his death but on the one hand it is not accordant with the position which the gospels assign to jesus in relation to the ancient prophets that he should have needed instruction from them and on the other hand jesus had already foretold his passion so circumstantially that the more special revelations from the world of spirits could only have referred to the particulars of his being delivered to the gentiles and the spitting in his face of which he does not speak till a subsequent occasion matthew chapter twenty verse nineteen mark chapter ten verse thirty four if however it be suggested that the communication to be made to jesus consisted 
not so much in information as in the conferring of strength for his approaching sufferings we submit that at this period there is not yet any trace of a state of mind in jesus which might seem to demand assistance of this kind while for his later sufferings this early strengthening did not suffice as is evident from the fact that in gethsemane a new impartation is necessary thus we are driven though already in opposition to the text to try whether we cannot give the appearance a relation to the disciples but first the object of strengthening faith is too general to be the motive of so special a dispensation secondly jesus in the parable of the rich man must on this supposition have falsely expounded the principle of the divine government in this respect for he there says that he who will not hear the writings of moses and the prophets and how much more he who will not hear the present christ would not be brought to believe though one should return to him from the dead whence it must be inferred that such an apparition at least to that end is not permitted by god the more special object of convincing the disciples that the doctrine and fate of jesus were in accordance with moses and the prophets had been already partly attained and it was not completely attained until after the death and resurrection of jesus and the outpouring of the spirit the transfiguration not having formed any epoch in their enlightenment on this subject lastly the voice out of the bright cloud without doubt the shekinah is like that of the baptism a divine voice but what an anthropomorphic conception of the divine being must that be which admits the possibility of real audible speech on his part or if it be said that a communication of god to the spiritual ear is alone spoken of here the scene of the transfiguration is reduced to a vision and we are suddenly transported to a totally different point of view end of section 105